You may take your seats. You may take your seats. I feel the power, the presence, and the spirit of our God in this place. There is something about when the saints come together to worship and praise the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen, amen, amen. If we could give it up one more time for our online audience. We got YouTube all live. We got Facebook live right now. We are so grateful for you joining in with us in this place of worship on this morning. Now, saints of God, let's jump right into it. There is a word from the Lord on today, and I am so excited, so excited. As you gather your Bibles, if you could go to Romans 12, Romans 12, Romans 12, Romans 12 and 1, Romans 12 and 1. I'm so grateful for this opportunity um, in the absence of our pastor, Christopher Earl Swims. Let's give it up for our pastor one time who just celebrated his birthday. He's been so grateful, so blessed. Um, he texted, he told y'all, but he texted me afterwards. He said he needed that last Sunday. He needed that. So please know, our pastor, as he goes through the things in life, is not only being a pastor, but being a father, being on boards, involved in the community. He needs to see and feel the love of his household. Amen? So let's always remember, not just on his birthday, but if you see him in Walmart, if you just scroll across on Facebook, send him a message, just encourage him in the Lord and let him know that we're thankful and grateful for all that he has done for us as the shepherd of this house. Amen. I'd just like to give honor to our mothers, to our deacons, to our elders and ministers, to everyone in their respective places. I'm so grateful for you on this morning. To my beautiful queen in the back who's going to be embarrassed, but as she is getting ready to give birth to that big, beautiful baby boy, my boo, my babe, my wife, my everything, my business, and nobody else's, my queen. I'm so grateful for all that she is in my life. Amen. Amen. Let's get to the word, to the word. It should be on the screens if you don't have it, but Romans 12 and 1. I'll be reading um, from the New Living Translation, but any version you have, it's all right. Just follow along with me. And it reads as follows. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let us pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're just thankful, dear God, for who you are all that you've done. We're thankful for your glory and your presence already being in this place, dear God. So I pray, dear God, that you bless me, dear God. I'm just a sinner that's been saved by grace. I'm flesh and nothing of me deserves to be in your presence. So I pray, dear God, that you remove me, dear God, not my thoughts, not my words, but let your spirit speak through me, dear God, and that this word be empowered to do what you've called and said it to do, dear God, that we will grow in the meat of your word, dear God that you will sustain us and nourish us, dear God, for all things that we need, dear God. We thank you for this. And it's in your precious son Jesus' name we pray. And let the people of God say amen as you take your seats. Amen. Uh, 
pastor kicked off this year with an awesome, awesome, powerful series, powerful series, and it's, it's entitled Reset. It's entitled Reset, and, and, and there's that concept of having to reset something, um, and I know some of you may be familiar with this. How many, uh, the majority of people nowadays, but you probably have internet at home, right? And if you have internet at home, you have a little modem box or a little Wi-Fi box, or even if you don't have internet at home, you have a phone, you have a device, a TV, a computer. You've been around some of these devices, and the thing about operating these devices is that sometimes they don't work how you need it to work. If we're talking about the modem, I know if you've been like me and you had to call Mediacom or Frontier or Claire Wave, who's now in the area, and you're having troubles with your internet, you got to get that paper done for school, or you're trying to stream your favorite show that's coming on TV, and all of a sudden, the internet's just slow, and it's laggy, and it's maybe down, the storm's outside, and you call up customer service. And what is the first thing when you call customer service, what do they tell you to do? They tell you to unplug it for 30 seconds and then plug it back in. And you tell them, well, I've done that already. Time and time again, they say just unplug it for 30 seconds. They may tell you that with your computer or if you call up and you have issues with your phone, oh, just power it down and turn it back on. But what some people confuse that for is actually to reset. But that's not actually a reset. That is more technically confirmed as a reboot. What that does is if the software inside is not operating correctly, you reboot the software. But what happens is all that thing does is shut down and turn back on, but it's actually in the same state that it was in before. They tell you to reboot that that hardly ever solves the problem. There is usually something deeper than that. And dare I say and make the connection to our lives, but for us as Christians, we sometimes do like that. We just reboot. We shut down, but nothing really changes. We pull away from God. We pull away from people. We pull away from family and friends. And we say, well, I need my space and I'm reclaiming my time and I need to take a sabbatical and I need to take a break. And you never actually reset and change anything. You just reboot and you come back to the same situations and the same places that you have been stuck in before. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to expose myself on this Sunday morning, but I am tired. I'm tired of having to reboot. I'm tired of being stuck in the same places and the same situations, and I'm looking around me, and I'm like, God, I see you blessing me. I don't have no reason to complain how I am complaining. I look at the condition and the state of the world that I'm not in the middle of a war. I'm not in the middle of a famine. I'm not in the middle of all these other things that I see going on, but yet and still, I am still tired. I believe the word of God on today wants to show us something. And it's, it's in the title of my message, but I believe he wants to reset us, but he wants to reset our worship. And our worship is key to getting us out of that cycle of having to reboot, that if we could find a way to reset our worship, we may be able to see God just a little bit clearer in the things that we go through. So let's look at the, the obvious here today. If we're talking about resetting our worship, what is worship? 
If you've been following along with us about the past year, last year, we started off, we kicked off with our seven pillars. We did series on Sermon the Psalms. We've talked extensively about worship, but just to hit a little bit of it real quick and some quick points, worship, worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and our hearts. The activity, the activity means that we have to participate in worship, that it takes an action from our bodies. It is not silent, it is not still, it is not quiet, but worship requires an action and it's taking place in the activity of our limbs, in the lifting up of our voices, in the posture of our hearts. This is worship. What we do, what God has called us to do. Worship is what we do when we come into God's presence. It's what we do when we come into his presence. But the thing that we fail to understand that we think worship is only saved for the Sunday morning experience. Worship is only saved when we go to the conference. Worship is only saved when we're in trouble and we actually need God. But I love the word of God because it answers it. The word of God says that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all who live in it. That means God dwells and occupies in every single space in time, wherever you go from the highest heights to the depths of the sea, that God is there. So if worship is what we do when we come into God's presence, it's clear that we should have a life style of worship that worship should become second nature just as we breathe air just as we have to go to the bathroom just as we have to eat just as we do all these things that come subconsciously in life why is it that worship is not our primary response why is it that worship is not our primary action? So I know that some of y'all may not want to hear this. Some of you may think this boring. Some of you may think this doesn't apply. But what you need to know the problem with your worship is with your heart. Ooh, I know it's tough. I know it doesn't sound good. We don't like to be exposed. We don't like when the teacher calls on us in class, but God sometimes is letting us know that, hey, there is something wrong with your heart. You're saying, preacher, how you know the conditions of my heart? Well, I know what the sound of worship looks like, but I also know what the word of God says. And Jesus records this um, in Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, Jesus now, you know, Jesus, he started his ministry. He's doing what God has called him to do. He's performing, and now the news of who Jesus is is going around. But then you have these people, these people that are called Pharisees. Woo! Ah, I love those Pharisees. The Pharisees, why do I love them? Why? Because we got some Pharisees that are around today. Mother Algie, I know you laugh because we know we have some Pharisees. What is a Pharisee? A Pharisee was the religious elite of the day. A Pharisees was those, those ministers and preachers and pastors that like to puff up their chests and they like to pontificate and talk about the glory of our wonderful Lord and Savior and I like to peruse the pericope of his word and parade the majesty of who God is and they talk all excellent and mighty and strong but Jesus when he sees them in Matthew 15 and 7 he says you hypocrites 
Sometimes we don't read the tension of the text and we don't see the emotion that our Lord and Savior is speaking with. That sometimes he had this thing called righteous indignation. He did not like when people come and play church. He would go over and kick over tables. I love it in one part in Matthew. He says, woe unto you, you whitewashed graveyards full of dead man bones. He's like, what is that? He was basically calling them the scum of the earth. He was talking passionately about his faith and what he believed in because it was important to him. And he says, you hypocrites. I love that word hypocrite because when you look at it in the Greek, that word hypocrites translates to an actor, to an actor on a stage that these Pharisees would just go around looking like Christ, looking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, but living a life that did not reflect that and wanted to show people how saved they were. Look at how much I pray. Look at how much I fast. But all the while, not actually having a heart for him. So he says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, now Jesus is quoting the Old Testament Isaiah. He says this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus was saying, you honor me and you say good words with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Catch this. He hits it right on the nail on the head. He said, their worship is a farce, meaning it's fake, meaning it's phony. These are the words of our Christ that he echoes and says, you hypocrites, the people, you honor me with your lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship is a farce. This is what Jesus says. Now, understand this. Imagine uh, this is the likes of T.D. Jakes or Tony Evans, which I honor those men of God. They're not Pharisees, but someone of that stature that he's saying that to. So the people around him are shocked and amazed. But Jesus says this, and he just coolly goes back, and he looks to the people, and he says, look, listen, people, you don't understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Oh my God. You are defiled but what comes out of your mouth. <coughs> the disciples now are nervous. They tell Jesus like, do you not realize that you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? As a preacher, I love this right here because it lets me know that guess what? Some people may be shocked at what you say. Some people may be shocked at what you do. But if you know that you are standing on the word of God, Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted, so ignore them. Oh, isn't that the blessed and easiest solution that our Lord and Savior shows us that no matter what people may say, no matter what people people may do if it is not from God if it is not from the word it just says simply ignore them but catch this we don't we don't we don't see Jesus like this you don't see this all the time in the text he says this and it is such the perfect comeback he says they are blind guides leading the blind and if one blind person guides another they will both fall into a ditch do you not understand that that is a warning that God is letting us know, what are you receiving from people that you listen to? What are you receiving from people that you hear? It is so quick and easy. You'll turn on the TV in the middle of the night and you'll hear Peter pop off or someone selling some miracle water or someone selling some easy way to claim your blessing. But are you following a blind person and maybe leading yourself into a ditch? 
pastor says it all the time, it's so easy to ignore the local pastor from some big name that you may see or some big spotlight, but not knowing the truth and the sincerity of your word. It goes on to say, Peter asks Jesus, please explain this parable about people being defied by what they eat. Jesus again comes back and says, do you not understand yet? Anything you eat passes through your stomach and goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. The words you speak comes from your heart. That's what defiles you. From the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. As I go back to the words he said earlier from Isaiah, people honor him with their lips, but their hearts are from far. You I have to ask the question and possibly step on some toes and cut a little bit, but as you sit here on this morning, as you are watching online, where is your heart? Oh, no, 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 no. Let me pause and sit right there for a second. We have to understand and look at the condition of our hearts and where we are. We have to do the dirty work of self-examination and stand in front of the mirror and say, God, what is the condition of my heart? What should I be doing? What is filled on the inside? Is it gossip? Is it slander? Is it jealousy? Is it envy? Is it murder? Is it adultery? You may say, but I never killed anybody. Matthew 5, Jesus records that if a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, he is like he committed the actual sin. That struck me as a man. I'm sorry, man. I have to be honest. I was like, Jesus, you mean I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't do, I, I can't see what's, because I know my heart. And I say, okay, God, I got to check my heart. Because guess what? I'm falling into sin. I'm falling into error. Why? Because I'm allowing my heart to get corrupted and twisted and turning. But then the thing of it is, I come on Sunday morning and I ignore the condition of my heart, but I offer vain worship. I offer a false worship. I say, God, you're worthy, but I'm not living like he's worthy. I say, God, you're able, but I'm not believing that he's able. Why? Because the posture of my heart is not toward, turned towards the Father. So I need you to ask yourself, where is your heart? I get it. You don't like to look at you. Why do I say that? Because I don't like to look at me. I sit there sometimes and I look and I see my failures. And all I see is the things I've done wrong. And it causes me to believe that, God, how can you do this for me when I'm such a filthy wretch, when I can't seem to get it right, and I now allow my negativity and self-thoughts to turn my heart further away from God. It is here that we get to our text in Romans 12 and 1, and we see now Paul I love the book of Romans. It is key. It is essential. I believe it is good to do a study of Romans yearly if possible if you can. Why? Because Paul sets out the gospel of Christ so plainly and efficiently. And here in Romans 12, he starts off with these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, please sense and see the urgency of Paul here. But also understand the grammatical, the, the grammatical text. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we ignore it because we see it broken up into chapters. But that word, therefore, King James says, I beseech you, brethren. It's basically saying, hey, because of everything I've said in Romans 1 through 11, 
This is my foundation. This is what I'm trying to urge you to understand. But the urgency is, it's because of God's mercy. He is urging us because of the mercy of God. What is God's mercy? God's mercy is us not getting what we do deserve. Do you understand that we deserve death? Do you understand that we deserve the wrath of God? I think we forget sometimes the power of the cross, the power of what God did. Mother Alger, we talked about it on Sunday school last week that there's this word called propitiation. What is this word called propitiation? It means that because of sin that God's wrath was upon us that the curse was upon us that death was upon their life because we have to know God does not tolerate any type of sin that sin is completely opposite of the character and nature of God. He hates it. It's an abomination. He deplores it. Sin, it separates us from the Father. We deserve death. We deserve to die. But because of God's grace, but because of God's mercy that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, now that we have mercy, death is not our future. Death is not an option anymore. But eternal eternal life with God the Father is. It's because of this mercy that Paul is beseeching and urging us to understand if we have to get to the place of resetting our worship. We have to understand that we do not deserve a single thing. And that's hard for us especially in our Western civilization as Americans, we grew up privileged. We grew up believing everything should come to us and we should get all that we want, but we do not deserve nothing. Why? Because our hearts are filled with nothing but evil thoughts, murder, adultery, gossiping, all these things that are opposite of God, but his mercy. This is the thing that should push us closer to him when we realize that we are such in desperate need of the mercy of God. What did God do for through his mercy. He freed us from the penalty of sin. Guess what? He made us joint heirs with Christ. He promised us that nothing could separate us from the love of God. He gave us a promise that not only did he leave his Holy Spirit, but that he's coming back to redeem us one day and that we will go to heaven. It's the very fact that I woke up this morning is because of his mercy. It's the very fact that I have my right mind and I haven't gone crazy yet. It's because of of his mercy where would we be if it wasn't for the mercy of God we have to get to the place where we understand everything is because of Christ that there is nothing 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 as they just sung nobody can compare to our Lord and Savior do we understand that is that the lifestyle of our heart that no matter what we go through, we see that God, it's because of your grace and your mercy. This is what Paul is urging us to see. This is what Paul wants us to get in our minds that it's therefore I urge you, my brothers and my sisters, in view of God's mercy, oh, thank you, Holy Ghost, it's sometimes how we view the world that can shape the conditions of our heart. 
If the only thing that we're doing is listening to BET and rap and hip-hop and watching all these shows and just listening to the news and seeing all that's going on, guess what? That is now feeding the conditions of our heart. But if we stop and we say, guess what? I can still listen to this and I can still watch that, but I'm now doing it in the view of God's mercy. I'm now doing it looking through the mirror and the lens of God's mercy. And now what am I supposed to do? In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a command. This is something that we fall short of, to offer our body as a living sacrifice. This is where the spirit, even though Pastor Swims isn't here, his spirit is still here because this in this text reminded me of food. And you know, Pastor loves food, and I love food too. We love it a little too much. You could have laughed at that. You could have laughed at that. It's all right. But I love a good breakfast. Love a good breakfast. All breakfast food is good. But ain't nothing like a B&E. And I'm not talking about breaking an entry. I'm talking about bacon and eggs. I love me some bacon and eggs. I know some people don't like the swine, but the swine is fine, and I'm glad it's mine. So, all right, love me some bacon and eggs. But, 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 but this, 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 this connected me to this, and uh, Tony Evans, I got to give credit where credit is due, helped me with this illustration that, that when it comes to that time of breakfast and, and bacon and eggs, there's, there's two components of that meal, that there's the chicken and then there's the swine. There's the chicken and there's the, the, the pork. And, and sometimes, though, I dare to let you know that we give God a chicken sacrifice and instead of a pork sacrifice. What do you mean, preacher? See, the chicken only has to contribute an egg. A chicken only has to contribute the egg to the breakfast, but a pork has to give its life. A pig has to give its life. Oh, y'all don't hear me. Y'all don't see me this morning. See, sometimes we don't need to give God a chicken worship. We need to give God a pork worship. What does that mean? That we give up our whole lives, that I can't give part of me to make this meal good, but I have to give all of me to make this feel good. When we see that this is what God wants from our sacrifice, he wants all of us. Can we promise? to give God our all as a living sacrifice and I'm here to tell you that the vast majority of you don't I don't say that pridefully I don't say that arrogantly I say that standing as the first one to say that I don't that there are areas of my heart that sometimes I hide and I keep away from Jesus. Why? Because I'm too ashamed. I'm too sad. I have too much guilt. I have too much sorrow and regret. I think that it's not possible for God to love someone like me through all of this. So I give him vain worship and I say with my lips, yes, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. And I say all this, give, make, me a, make me a living sacrifice. All these things, but there are areas of my life and of my heart that I I keep hidden and instead of resetting I just reboot over and over and over again but that is not what God is calling you for and I'm here this morning echoing the words of Paul and urging you my brothers and my sisters to give your whole life as a living sacrifice I love it because Pastor started off this series and he said that in part of this reset that we have a duty to commit more of our life to Christ. I'm so proud of my brother Fletch 
Um, as many of y'all may see him on the Burger King commercial, BK, have it your way. That's our boy Fletch, one of Oprah's own, on a national TV commercial. That's my boy. But one thing, and I've told him this privately, and I'll say it publicly, that I admire about the life of my brother Fletch is that I could call him in the morning and say, hey, what's up? And he will answer every single time, but he will say, I have to call you back. I'm in the middle of my devotion." He's consistent in his time with God every single day. He understands that he cannot make it through life without having his moment with God. Why? Because he's presenting his body as a living sacrifice. See, the thing about sacrifices is we have to understand that that was the only way at a certain point in time to connect with God. That, yeah, I, I, I make this illustration all the time. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I wake up out of bed, and I'm walking a stone through the dark, and I stub my toe. Oh, Lord Jesus. And that's not the words that come out of my mouth. It is something more unpleasant and that I will not dare say ever publicly, but I have to admit, because of the condition of my heart, not some holy words come out of my mouth. If I was living in the Old Testament as a tribe of Israel, and that happened in the middle of the night, I'd have to wake up and be like, oh, Lord, I've sinned. But there is nothing, nothing that I can do about my sin. So I'd have to go to Walmart. I'd walk up to Walmart. I'd be like, hey, uh, okay, that was a, uh, like a mid-grade sin. It wasn't that big. So I don't need a whole goat or a bull. Nothing. Let me just get a dove. And I'll go purchase a dove. And I'll take that dove and I'll bring it to church. And I'll walk to the back and I'll knock on the door and I'll say, Pastor, I've sinned. I need you to atone for my sin. Pastor would then take that gift, that sacrifice, he would take that sacrifice and he would go for himself away. And then he would have to pray and say, God, consecrate me as a servant so that I could go before into your presence. And he'd walk into the inner courts and into the holies of holies and he would tie a rope around his ankle. And if pastor had any sin in his own life that he did not deal with, he would drop dead in the presence of a mighty God. He would have bells across his waist so when they heard the bell stop jangling, they would drag him out by his foot and see that, okay, he was not, he was unclean and he wasn't worthy to be before God. And then he would take it, if he was worthy, he would take that dove, he would break the neck of the dove, he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, which is that propitiation that covers our sins. And so he would do that, but I am so grateful that when Jesus Christ died on a hill called Calvary and he broke that, the, 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 the carpet in two, that at that moment now we have access to God for ourselves so now when we talk about a living sacrifice there is a difference now between the dead bird the dead goat and the dead lamb that now we have a living sacrifice that means that this thing is ongoing what does that mean that means daily I have to die to my flesh daily I have to die to my thoughts daily I have to die to the condition of my heart why because I now present my body my mind my will my heart and my soul to God as a living sacrifice <coughs> holy and acceptable but catch what the text says here this is your true and proper worship if we're talking about how do we reset our worship we have to understand that we have to die daily as a living sacrifice that God doesn't want the part-time believer anymore. God doesn't want the part-time saint. 
He needs to know if you're all in or not because guess what? This is our true and proper worship. Yet again, I have to go back to the words of Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are from far me. Their worship is a farce. <coughs> Let us not have those words reflect us anymore. We see it on our jobs. We see it in our families. We see it in our lives. There's those people. What, what the old song say? They smile in your face. All the while trying to take your place back. So y'all know it. <laughs> y'all know it. But them backstabbers, they smiling in your face. But dare I say, that's how we come to Jesus. We come in glory, glory. Hallelujah. Ooh, she ugly. This is Hallelujah. Bird is, ooh, her breast stank. Glory, glory. And all this time, the conditions of our heart is ruined. Why? Because our worship is a farce. Our worship is empty and vain. Do you not know that God does not play with his worship? Do you not know that in the Old Testament is recording that Aaron, being one of the priests, had his sons with him and his sons came and offered the text say, a strange fire, a strange worship and God struck them dead right where they stand. Can you imagine a father having to see his sons dead but still having to go worship God? This is what he calls us for. Or let us not be like Ananias and Sapphira that came into the house of God and lied about what God has done and struck them dead right where they are. We see that God was a God who do not play, but yet again, we play with God every time we come into his house, every time we see an opportunity to give God praise, that we fall and we don't give him what he deserves. God is calling on us to reset our worship, that this has to become a lifestyle, that you can be in the middle of schnooks and God puts a praise on your heart and somebody's asking why are you tapping why are you dancing and I'm sitting there I'm only here because of the goodness of God only here because of his grace and mercy saints of God we have to level up in our worship that this thing has to become a lifestyle that morning by morning since his mercies are new our worship needs to be fresh we have an opportunity now to see God like never before. So the text says, this is your true and proper worship. It'd be fine if that was the end. If that was the end of it all, Romans 12 and 1. Okay, hey, Kurt, we said our worship. This is our true and proper worship. But Paul knows us. Paul knew what he was dealing with back then with the Romans, and it's the same thing that we deal with now because he goes on to say, hey, that's good. His mercies are new. God's mercy prevents your bodies from living sacrifice. All that is good, but he leaves them with some more instructions, and he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Catch this. It's on the screen. Put it in as a note. Put it as a Facebook quote, an Instagram quote, but it is so key and good because we are quick to copy the world, but we do not copy his word. 
we're so quick to want to imitate the world and imitate what we see, but do we copy the word of God? Are we like David? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not depart from thee. Do we have the word of God on the inside of us as a foundation that sets us apart? Oh, I got to challenge y'all. Y'all need the word of God in your heart. You need to be able to call upon that thing that when you're in trouble, you know that you can stand on and say, God, you've commanded that I am the head and not the tail. I say this all the time. My mother, May uh, 25th, 2005, almost died of a stroke in the hospital room. The doctor said she's not going to make it. The doctor said if she's done, she's going to be a vegetable. But with tears in my eyes, I said, but my God is a healer and that by his stripes, that she is healed. What happened was because the word on the inside it had to do something. The condition of my heart understood what my God was capable to do and I stood on his word. I did not conform myself to what he said but I conformed myself to what the word of God says. And saints when we stand on the word of God and now it flows out of you that it's not what comes in your mouth but what comes out because your heart is buried to the word of God not your lips will speak his word when it is late in the midnight hour and those thoughts come through your mind and try to take hold of you you could stand on the word of God and says get thee behind me Satan I'd say loose here devil and let go of your child why because your word commanded that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord do you see that when we stand on the word of God that there is nothing 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 his word cannot fail do you understand the power of that that his word cannot fail do you know the confidence to go and say my daddy's got it covered my daddy paid the bill my daddy paid the price we are able to stand on his word so we have to not conform ourselves to this world to the pattern of this world that we don't have to do what they do. That a lot of people think, okay, because you're a Christian, you gotta see, I hated it. Oh, I hate it when I see it. Uh, a former coworker <coughs> posted that she was working at a job. And I don't know the job, don't know where it's at, but the job made her lead prayer that morning. And I'm like, well, thank you, that's a job. I like a job where I could go and pray. But she didn't feel comfortable praying. And now her view of Christians is you made me do something I didn't want to do. Instead of a Christian saying, hey, we're in the atmosphere, we're going to pray, you're invited to pray with us. You're invited to worship with us. But I'm not going to force you to do anything because guess what? God can do the work. We are not supposed to conform people as well, but we let God do the conforming. I love it. I love it, the example. And yet again, I may be telling my age, the great Patrick Swayze in the movie called Ghost. All right? And in this movie called Ghost and Patrick Swayze, there's this one scene where the, 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 the woman is at a potter's wheel. And she's making a pottery, a, a jar of clay. And when I think about that, that sometimes God, it even says that he is the potter and we are the clay. Mold me and make me into your way. That we have to understand that God is the potter. That God is molding us. That God is forming us. But guess what? We don't like the pressure that comes with it. 
We don't like when someone else puts their hands on our business, but sometimes we have to understand, in order not to be conformed to this world, we have to trust the master. We have to trust the master potter. Know that his hands are forming you. Know that his hands are molding you. Know that he is shaping you and making you into the wonderful, blessed creature that you are today. Let us not despise when God has his hand on our life. It may feel sometimes like we're being disciplined, but it is God being almighty, being all wise, being all awesome, saying, nah, boo, that joker ain't it. Nah, fella, you better leave that girl alone because you know you don't have any good intentions. Nah, you know you need to save your money. You need to stop eating now. Go cook what you got in your refrigerator. We need to understand and see that God is shaping us, that God is molding us. But can we allow him, <coughs> can we allow him to shape us and not copy what we see in the world? We have to have moments where we put the phone down, where we get off Facebook, where we get off Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever your, your thing may be. It could be TV. It could be the daytime soap operas and Young and the Restless. And Day Do they still come on TV? I, I don't know, but I just had a grandma that always used to watch it, so I always had to watch Days of Our Lives and all those type of shows. But all those things that we sometimes pour our lives into, can we put those down? Because the word says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Ooh, be transformed. I don't know if you see the power in that word transformed there. That power in that word to give it in this example, and I love it. It's good to sometimes bring the Greek out. The, the New Testament was written in Greek. That word transformed is with the, our English word metamorphosis. And when I think about metamorphosis, I think about a butterfly. And a butterfly doesn't start as a butterfly, but it starts as a caterpillar. And the thing about a caterpillar is if you are sitting outside and all of a sudden a brown, ugly thing just crawls up on your arm, you go, ah, get it away from me. It's not desirable. And sometimes that is like us. When we conform ourselves to the pattern of this world, we're like a big, ugly, nasty caterpillar that is just crawling around and is not desirable. But God calls for us to be transformed. And in that transformation process, sometimes we have to remove ourselves from the world. And just like that caterpillar, we go ahead and find our place, a secluded place, and we go to that secret place to be with God. And we stay in that secret place. And what do we do? We cover ourselves. <coughs> but we don't cover ourselves by ourselves. But we cover ourselves with his word. And we allow his word to do a work on the inside. And just like that caterpillar who is now closed off, who is now cocooned, and guess what? In that place, there is silence. In that place, you cannot be bothered. In that place, nothing from the outside could come inside. Because if it does, it will defile us. It will not make us pure. But in that process of transformation, God will do a work on the inside of our hearts. God will do a work on the inside of our lives and that we will emerge transformed. But I love that illustration because what is key about that is that at a certain point, that caterpillar who's now on the inside, he's been changed into something different. But before he could be changed, he has to break out of what was covering him. He has to break out and go out into the world. And it may take some effort and it may be kind of hard, but if you can make it through the transformation process at the end of that now you will see a beautiful butterfly and it's the same way that in our lives if we can allow God to 
do a work on the inside of us and transform us. We can now be transformed and be renewed. But I love it yet again because it's so easy to miss. It says, but be transformed. Oh, see, y'all missed it already. Be transformed. Notice it doesn't say transform yourself. But be transformed, meaning that we have to allow God to do the work. And how do we do it? We do it by being a living sacrifice. And we allow his word to do a work that we cannot do ourselves. This is the just of our faith. When we realize, like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, being equally man and equally God, he said, Eli, Eli, Labakhtasahani. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we failed to realize that Jesus was going through a transformation process in the garden, but he did not like it in his flesh. But his divinity said, nevertheless, my God, not my will, but your will be done. When we allowed the transformation process to take hold, we now have that renewing of our mind and I love it because that renewing of our mind is like a reset and that reset is different than a reboot <coughs> we talked about it early in the beginning how it's frustrating when you have to reboot the modem when you have to start it all over again and it seems like nothing has changed but there is a difference when it comes to a reset when you think about a reset, you have to think about erasing and wiping all that was there before it. You have a phone, you have a computer. Before you turn in that phone and upgrade it, they tell you, hey, factory reset your phone. What does that mean? That means that when you reset it, you wipe everything away so it's fresh and new to be loaded of what it needs to be. I challenge you today to understand that we need to not reboot our worship, but we need to reset our worship. We need to understand that what is in me God does not like. It is filthy, it is vain, and it is a fake worship. And I do not desire to give that to God. But um, this morning, I want to reset my worship. I want to reset my worship. I want to say, God, all that is in me, I need you to wash it away. God, all that is in my heart, I need you to take it away. The sinful desires, the sinful thoughts, my flesh, God, remove it and reset my worship worship. I love it because we reboot our lives and we say that we'll do this or that, but God is calling us to reset back to the master. Back to the master plan. We need God to download the information into our hearts and remind us that our worship does not have to be in vain. Our worship does not have to be false. Doesn't have to be fake. Doesn't have to be a farce. This, this, this is what Paul is talking about here in this text. This is what we fail to realize and understand that therefore I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Let us live this out daily that God, Daily, I have to die to my flesh. Daily, I have to die to my thoughts. This requires a sacrifice every moment when it says, oh, I'm about to go to bed. But God, did I spend time with you today? 
when I'm getting bothered on my job and I know I'm being persecuted for things that I didn't do when I'm feeling like I'm being abused emotionally or maybe physically or maybe mentally when I'm going through it financially can I say God I still offer my life to you I still want to give you my all why because this is holy and pleasing to God <laughs> that should be our desires my father how can I please you God how can I make you happy how can I live my life that is desirable to you? Why? Because this is our true and proper worship. And lastly, it goes on to say, don't conform ourselves to this world. I challenge you as you go through the day, as you even go back home, there are going to be things that are going to draw you back to the old you. There are going to be things that are going to be draw you back to what you used to know. But let us be transformed by the renewing and the resetting of our minds. I, I, I hate it and I love it at the same time. But I hate it when it comes that time of month where all my monthly subscriptions have to renew. And I see that deposit come out of my account. When I'm ready to go up and go to Burger King or go to Dunkin' Donuts, this pastor says, like, ooh, I'm finna get me a faux for faux. I'm finna get me a large coffee. I'm finna do all that. And next thing I know, I look, it says, oh, wait, you don't have enough funds in the account. I say, what, Jesus? And I look, oh, wait, that was Hulu. Oh, wait, that was Netflix. And I'm salty in the moment. It kind of hurts in the moment that I have to give up something. But then later on in the week when I'm watching my show, I'm happy again. Later on in the week when I'm able to go to Planet Fitness and my card is go swipe on, I'm happy again. And that's just like we need to do in our lives and understand that sometimes that renewal process requires a sacrifice, but it is worth the cost because the very end of this says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. How many people want God's will for your life? How many people want to follow the will of God for your life? Paul right here gives us the recipe that if we transform our minds, then we'll be able to test and approve. Ooh, see, yet again, let me just say this right before we go. We think that it is wrong for us to test God. We think that it is wrong for us to say, well, God, if you don't, I'm here to tell you that it's okay as long as you stand on this word. As long as you stand on what the word of God says, God, I'm going to test you. So God, as I stand here, God, I want to be a living sacrifice. God, I want to have a renewed mind. So God, I want to test and approve your will, not my will, not my thoughts, not my, what I want, but your good and your pleasing will. That God, that will, it's good. It's good that God is good. This is the heart of our worship. This is the posture of our heart that we need to come into this house every morning, every time that we realize that God is good. And even when I don't feel like it, God, I'm going to test you to see that if you're still good, that if your word still says, never have I seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God, I have to stand on your word that, you, that you've promised me, dear God, that you'll never leave me for or forsake me. I have to stand on your word and test and approve so as we reset our worship let us stand on that let us believe that and as sister Greta plays this song that just talks about how God is good I want us to posture our hearts for a moment to take a moment right now and reset our worship to take a moment 
and reset the postures of our heart. I know traditionally we think the moment of the altar call is only set aside for those that may have been sinned or walked away or those that may have some guilt or shame in their life, but I dare to tell you that the altar is open and available for all, but can we reset, take a moment as Sister Greta sings these words, and they'll be up on the screen so you can see them too as well, and just think about how God is good and what that means. Just let's take this moment and reset in worship for God. something that may seem out of pocket because I love it because every time I read the New Testament and I see what God does and how he moves that he moves by action that he moves by a move of faith that he moves by us taking a part of it so I'm just wondering that if anybody here wants to posture themselves in a position to reset their worship I challenge you to do something simple I challenge you to do something that is not that is not weird, that is not because in the word of God, I dare you just to stand. That if you're saying, God, I want to reset my worship. My standing is an act of faith. That is positioning myself to say that, God, I'm positioning my heart towards you. And I dare, I, I dare you that, that there's some of you that, that you don't have to stand. Please know you do not have to stand. But for those that may be standing, I wonder if you could do one more thing for me. That if you could just do something as we go through this song and we sing it again, that you could just raise your hand. It could just be just a little bit. That you could offer and raise your hand. It's called a yada, a sacrifice of praise and saying, God, I want to sacrifice myself and position myself as a living sacrifice because God you are good. God I need you. God there is nothing without you. I want to live every day as a living sacrifice. I want to commit my life to you over and over and over and over and over again. God I don't care how many times I fail. I don't care how many times I mess up. I don't care how many times I see. But God may my struggles lead me to you there God. May my failures lead me to you there God. May the things that I struggle with I may throw them at the altar in this moment there God. And I am going to give Give you a sacrifice of my praise. So 
I sing and as I worship, I will lift up my voice. I don't care if my voice sounds horrible. I don't care if my armpits stink and the person next to me doesn't like it. But right now, right now, this is about you, dear God. That God, you are good. So guess what? I'm going to stand. I'm going to lift my hands. But I'm also going to open my mouth. I'm also going to open my mouth and even if I don't know what to say I'm going to say God you are good God you are good God you are good in spite of it all God you are good God you are worthy God you are mighty I will say whatever comes from my heart because my heart is no longer defiled with sin but God oh thank you Holy Ghost God forgive me God forgive me God, forgive me. I am a sin and a wretch undone. I am a failure. I cannot do nothing without you, but God, because you're good. God, because I need you. I'm going to thank you for all that you've done. So as you sing it one more time, let's sing this now as an act of worship. Even you at home online, posture yourself right now as we worship God together. God is good. 